Well, today is Acts chapter 28. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Acts chapter 28, verses 16 to 31. These are the last words that Luke records regarding the work that Jesus continued to do after his ascension. Now, we call this whole series Plan A. You know, you've wondered, why does that A keep sticking up there everywhere? Because the series is called Plan A. Because the book of Acts shows us that the church... The local church is God's plan A for the world, and we must remind ourselves, y'all, there is no plan B. There is no plan B. Now, we've tried to clarify, and I'm going to say this again, it's easy to see why the church is plan A when we understand that plan A is Jesus. Okay, so make that connection. We say plan plan A is Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his continuing work in us and through us as the people of God. Uh, Now you can go, now, now it's easier to say, isn't it? Oh, there's no plan B. Of course not, because it's all about Jesus. When I was uh, 19, 20 years old, I was a new Christian, um, just kind of learning what it meant to be a Christian, quite frankly, you all. I was a a freshman up at the University of Tennessee, and uh, I I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't understand. I I had come to faith in Christ. There there was a moment when I believed. I believed in my heart that Jesus was the Son of God, that he died on the cross for my sins. He paid the penalty I deserved. He was buried, and he rose again, and he lives. And when I believed that he did it for me, Uh, that's what it means to be a Christian. It's not about going to church. It's not about avoiding this and doing that. It's about a relationship with God. And and I began to, I was just beginning to learn these things, you all. I didn't know. And uh, during those years, um, I would read books and people would give me books. And probably there's no, you know, there's probably five books that have shaped my faith more than any other outside the Bible. And one would be a book on uh, Jim Elliott called The Shadow of the Almighty. And you know, he, he wrote in his journal things that I hoped would become true of me. It's just one of those things, you know, I'm going, God, when he said that, and I, I've never forgotten a number of those, and I want to give you one that has stuck with me through the years. Jim, by the way, died in his early 20s. You guys know the story. It's been well recorded and documented as he and four friends sought to take the gospel to the Aka Indians in the jungles of Ecuador. And there uh, they gave their lives in their early 20s. But he had written in his journal these words, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I come in contact with to decision. Let me not be a milestone on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me, end quote. I'll tell you, as I've pondered ending the book of Acts and challenging us, even as Luke challenges us in these final words, I've asked the question of myself, honestly, because you know, I read that some 35 years ago, but it, it, when I look at my life, is my life a milestone that people just pass by? I mean, you don't even pay attention to the mile markers, do you? Just a milestone on the road people go by? Or is my life a fork in the road 
such when someone comes in contact with me and Christ in me, they ought to choose. Either choose him or you don't. And I'll tell you, in this back end of Luke, I've, I've outlined the passage as he walks us through these final words. I do think he gives us three uh, characteristics, if you will, of, of, of a life that is a fork in the road and not a milestone. Okay? And so that's how I'm going to outline the passage as we move through it. The first thing, and I'll give you the outline first, it's three, three things that mark someone who's a fork in the road is they are wearing a chain. That's the first 16 to 20. They are wearing a chain. I'll explain it. The second is 21 to 28. They have one message. They're wearing a chain. They have one message. And then 30 and 31 is, they know what is never hindered. Now you write that down, you go, what the heck does that mean? Well, we'll find out. They know what is never hindered. Follow along in your Bibles as we move through here by way of context. I want you to know the last place we were was Acts you know, 16, the Council of Jerusalem, okay, Rob taught last week. And now where we're at, you know, obviously in 28, I want you to know, you know, some 15, 16 years have passed. And so a lot of water's gone under the bridge. You just need to know this, that from Jerusalem in Acts 16, Paul then goes on his second and third missionary journey. Um, he is arrested at the end of the third, second missionary, uh, third missionary journey in Jerusalem. He is bound and he spends three years getting to Rome. And so, that, so, so I want you to know, 16 years have passed. And the last thing we saw, we didn't cover it, but years ago we did when we went through the book itself. Uh, chapter 27 is all about a storm that should have killed him and could have killed him, but doesn't. And so now we find Paul some 16 years, y'all some 25 to 30 years after his conversion he arrives in Rome. Pick up the text with me at verse 16 of chapter 28. We'll take it a little section at a time. This first mark I want us to look for of someone who's a fork in the road, as indeed Paul was, is they're wearing a chain. Here's God's word to us today. It says, when we entered Rome, we as Luke and those traveling, so the we, you know, that's the we. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. He's chained to a soldier. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. In other words, he appeals to the Supreme Court when they say, we want him dead. He goes, no, I'm appealing to Caesar. Why could he appeal to Caesar? He was a Roman citizen, okay? So it said, I want to talk to you know, Caesar. I want to go to the Supreme Court. Not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you. For I am wearing this chain, why? For the sake of the hope 
of Israel. Stop there. Paul, every time he went into a city, would go to the Jew first. He went to the synagogue. He comes into Rome. He has not changed his MO. He can't go to the synagogue. And so he invites all the rabbis and the leading Jews to come to him. He's got something he wants to say to them. And you look at the text, you'll note he says these three things. Uh, He he says, number one, I... I'm in chains, but I'm in chains not because of anything against Israel. He wants these Jews to know, look, I'm not slamming Israel. I'm not debasing Israel. I'm an, I'm an Israelite. I'm a Jew. So I want you to know that's, that's not why I'm in these chains. That's not why I'm here. And secondly, he says, I want you to know that I have been before several tribunals. He spoke before three kings, in a sense. He spoke before three courts. And all three courts said, he's not guilty. He's not guilty. He's not guilty. And so he says, I've done nothing against Israel and there's nothing for which I am guilty of death. And then the last thing he says, he says, I want you to know I've got this chain and I'm chained to this man for the same hope that you have. So so he looks at him and says, you know, I'm chained to this man because because of my hope hope for Israel, which is your hope for Israel. And this is where we need to understand, what does he mean, hope of Israel or hope for Israel? We don't have to wonder about it because he's been absolutely clear throughout the book of Acts. I'm going to pick one spot that will answer this question. What does he mean, the hope of Israel? Turn back in your Bibles to chapter 26, verses 22. 22 to 23. He is here speaking before Agrippa and notice his words. He says, so he's speaking to King Agrippa, having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. Now, when we read this next section, you're going to see him say again, prophets and Moses. What is that? It's the Bible that they had. This is the word of God. So, so he says, I, I'm not saying anything that, that Moses didn't say, that the prophets did not say. And what did they say? Verse 23, that the Christ, the Messiah, the one that all of Israel is hoping will come and restore Israel and save Israel was to suffer. And that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light. When you hear that word light, think life. He would be the first to proclaim life both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. See, the the hope of Israel, those Jews that are standing around Paul right now, he says, guys, um, I'm in this chain because I'm hoping in the very hope you're hoping. And if we read Moses and the prophets, we can see, we can see indeed that the Messiah is gonna suffer and he's gonna die and he's gonna rise again. And you hope for resurrection because when Messiah is resurrected, that means we'll be resurrected. And I agree with you. Now the problem is we'll see in a moment is they couldn't see it and they couldn't hear it. When I say that those who, whose lives are a fork in the road and people must choose upon seeing Christ in them, you know I'm using that um, metaphorically. And when I say that you're gonna 
A person like that carries a chain. You know I'm saying that metaphorically. Lloyd, what do you mean that you have a chain? Here's what I mean. This chain represented to those who saw Paul that speaking for Christ as he is, speaking of the hope of Israel, a risen Messiah, costs him dearly. It costs him. I've got this chain on because I have a hope in a resurrection and I believe it's occurred in the man, the God-man Jesus. You think about this, you know, you, 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 a fork in the road, you're gonna, it's gonna cost you to be a fork in the road. I know I'm talking to the choir, but I just wanna remind you, it costs Paul his freedom, truly. If you'll read those chapters we went over, we've, we've flown over in Acts, you'll find it cost him some beatings. He bore scars on his body. The man was stoned. Okay, it's amazing he's alive. But I want you to know in the same way, if you and I are gonna be a fork in the road for people, it will cost you. I, I don't think you know, at least I don't think in our lifetime, it's, I don't think it's gonna cost you your life. I don't think, I don't think it'll cost you, your, someone's gonna kill you. You may be in a place that it may. Uh, I don't even know if it's gonna cost you your freedom, okay, as it costs here. Now, I'm gonna tell you, that's probably coming, you know, in a generation or two, but, but let's, let's just go, well, what, what would it cost me? Let me think with you for a moment. I think it could cost you some relationships. I think that seems pretty clear to me that if you're gonna speak of Christ, even as we'll see in the next section, people get divided. You come to you, you talk about Christ, they're gonna look at you and go, I'm not with you anymore. I think it could cost you your reputation, I do. That in our world and our culture, even with with friends and family at some level, it could cost you your reputation because they look at you and they go, you know, you've gone too far. You're taking that too serious, Yet whatever it may be, but it costs your reputation. And by the way, it'll never cost you your character. Never. But it could cost what people think of you and your reputation. And in this way, I'm gonna talk, again, let me be very practical. I mean, it could cost you business. You know, many of you working in, in settings where, you know, to engage with people, to make a sale, to get something done. Uh, if you speak of Christ, it, be, it may be you're not going to get that business. I talked to someone this week, at least I had dinner with some friends. They were talking about a daughter applying for a scholarship. And she knew, looking at the scholarship applications that were given, that they were given they were, they were not given to those who mentioned their religious faith in this particular thing. Like it's okay to say, hey, I wanna help build a home. But if you, told, if you said in the application, the reason I wanna help build a home is I have a personal relationship with Jesus and Jesus is the one who restores people. See, like she, she was faced with, gosh, if I, if I say this, I may not get the scholarship. You see what I'm saying? It costs us. It will cost us to be a fork in the road. It may cost you something you dearly want, something you dearly desire. People who are forks in the road are wearing a chain. They also have one message, one single message. Now look at verses 21 to 28 in Acts 28. It says, they said to him, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. How about that? 
So, so Paul, we haven't heard anything bad about you, but these people who call themselves Christian, um, they're, they're spoken about bad. How about that? You know, that's, it gets back to the first point. There's a cost. 23, when they had set a day for Paul, they said, we'll meet with you. They came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying, I want you to underline these words, about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from, here we go, both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. (laughs) No exaggeration. From morning till evening. Let me show you what Moses said, the prophets said, and they all said the Messiah's gonna suffer, he's gonna die. You see, they go all day on this thing. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. And here's the word that tells us why they did not believe. He said, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your father saying, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears, they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also Listen, major shift here. The focus now, of course, for Paul is the Gentiles. And quite frankly, you all, it's a reason if you know Christ, you know Christ. Now, it's not that the gospel is no longer going to the Jews, but read Romans 11. There is a day when there will be a a massive evangelistic fruit from the Jews as a nation. But during these days, which Paul will call the times of the Gentiles, that's times of me and you that aren't Jewish, until, until all that are non-Jewish are saved, it's after that moment that Israel, on a grand scale, God will bring to himself through same way, through faith in Christ. Now, Paul's message is really simple, and I tried to highlight it for you. It's the kingdom of God, and it's Jesus. Look at verse 31. It says he was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be very clear on this. The kingdom of God and Jesus are inseparable. There is no kingdom of God apart from Jesus. There's no Jesus apart from the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? I'm not going to unpack it fully. We've covered it in different books of the Bible, but I'll give you a phrase that I think you can hold and that is enough for us right now. Think of it this way. The kingdom of God is the rule of God. That's his kingdom. Where, where, where is the rule of God? That's the kingdom of God. Now, Much we could say, I only want to offer to you at an individual level, on a personal level, the kingdom of God, the rule of God is in the heart, in the life, first of all, individually, of the Christian, of the person who's trusted Christ. For when you put your faith in Jesus, you are indwelt by the spirit, the spirit of Christ, even Paul would use those words, such that Paul would say, Christ lives in me. And it's the spirit of Christ that we submit to and we depend upon. And therefore, God's rule begins to take hold in our lives 
over our thinking, over our affections, over our deepest longings and desires, over our choices and our will, such that we from within are changed. Why are we changed? Because the rule of God is expanding in our hearts. You see that? And therefore, more and more in our life, if we are maturing in the faith, which is our mission, if we're maturing, it's simply that God's rule is taking over more and more of my life. You know, it's taken me a long time to get to the place where I really see God owns all my money. That's okay, but his rule is now moving to your wallet and his rule is now moving to your, you know, you, you know your view of sexuality or your, your view of whatever it may be. That is the rule of God. Is everybody clear with me on that? So individually, the rule of God in our hearts. There is entrance into the kingdom is only by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why I say there's no separating the kingdom of God from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, kingdom of God go together. It's one message, if you will, and it's the only message Paul spoke. Read through the book of Acts, and you'll find him say, I spoke to you about the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke to them at Acts 1-3, and he says, let me tell you about things concerning the kingdom of God. What's the one message of your life? Not the five, the one. What is, what, what is the way you live your life, the choices you make in your life, what, what does it say about you? What's, what would someone say, you know what, here's the, message of, here's the message of Jeff's life. Here's the message of Rob's life. Here's the message of Susan's life. What's the message? Would they look at your life and go, man, I'm telling you, that his, his life just screams fun, <laughs> I don't know, or adventure, or success. What, what, would your, what, would your, what, would it, what would they look at your life and go, would they look at your life and go, I'm telling you, the guy, <laughs> Paul, sounded like a broken record. Kingdom of God and Jesus kingdom of God and Jesus. It's like a rut he got stuck in and he chose never to get out of. So what do you and I, what rut have you and I chosen that we're in that is the one message of our life? I think about it for me, y'all. I think, you know, you guys, you know, I don't know all of you as well, but you, you could kind of know me just from, you know, teaching and some of you that I know personally. What I don't know. I, I think about this. What would you say is the message of my life? I mean, have I missed it? Have I missed it in some way such that you might have four or five? Or would it be, would ours be the kingdom of God and Jesus? Would say it, You can say it different ways. You know, like, you know, you know I'm going to tell you what I'm about. I'm about helping people know Christ and grow in Christ and know Christ. Whatever that may be, it's one message. You're going to be a fork in the road. You can't have five. You got one. Okay, the last thing, uh, those who are a fork in the road, they're wearing the chain. There's a cost and they bear it. They have one message. And finally, they know what is never hindered. Now, I picked that up from verses 30 and 31. 29 is in brackets because it's not in the oldest manuscripts. It doesn't mean it's not biblical by any means, but not in the earliest manuscripts. And so I'm gonna take 30 and 31 as a concluding statement. It says, and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters. He was paying for this, most likely, and was welcoming all who came to him. People over two years would just come in and out, in and out, in and out. 31, preaching the kingdom of God 
and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness. And this is the last word in the Greek text. Unhindered. It's the last word in the Greek text. Unhindered. Luke writes two big books, the Gospel of Luke and then the account in Acts. You know, we're talking about over 50 chapters and he ends with one specific word. It's certainly no accident. Unhindered. Now, we think of Paul in, uh, in this confinement and we can think, well, I bet he was really perturbed. I bet he was frustrated. I bet he wanted to go places and he couldn't. Um, I, I want you to hear what he thinks about his confinement. Because during this confinement, he did write in this particular confinement uh, four New Testament letters, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. Sounds like he certainly made the most of his time while he was hindered. Listen to what he says in Philippians 1, verses 12 to 14. I'll simply read it. You don't need to turn there. He says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What? You're, you're, you're confined to a room. Have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Throughout all the guards that guard Caesar and everybody other official. A bunch of them have come to faith because of my imprisonment. And to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. You want me to tell you about my imprisonment? There are people who've come to faith that I could never talk to had I just come to the door and said, you think I could talk to all the guards? I'd like to talk to Nero. That's who he'll eventually talk to. I mean, because he was imprisoned, there are people he could never get to that came to faith. And because they came to faith, as a result of his imprisonment, he says, these brothers now have more courage to speak the truth about Christ. That last word, unhindered, it's the Greek word, Akalitos. There's the akalitos, unhindered. The root of that is akalito. And that root word is used in different places in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. And when it's used in those other places, it just reinforces what it means here. Unhindered means Unhindered means not slowed down or it's not interfered with. In, in the other passages in Acts and the Gospels, it's translated uh, to prevent, to stand in the way of, to forbid, to keep from. Let me ask you a question. When the disciples began to talk about Jesus and to go into cities and tell about Jesus, were, this is not a trick question, were they hindered? Were they resisted? Were they prevented from? Were they constrained? Were they? The answer is yes, they were. And yet Luke's going to end his whole description with this word. No, 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 no. Not hindered, but unhindered. And so if the disciples, in fact, were hindered 
and Paul finds himself restrained with a chain to a guard for two years. What is it that Luke is describing that is unhindered? I'm asking you. So, so the disciples and Paul are hindered. But what's unhindered in the story? Somebody tell me. The gospel is unhindered. The message of Jesus that he lived and he died and he was buried and he rose again. The message that saves men, women, and children from their sin and puts them in a right relationship with God. You guys, the message cannot be hindered, cannot be stopped, cannot be restrained. Oh my goodness. It's unstoppable. Now you and I, oh, we'll be restrained. Do you see this? That's what my point I'm making is we'll be hindered. Uh, we'll be resisted. We'll be acted against. But the message can't stop. Now, I just want you to see, if, if you don't mind, turn back to chapter 20. And I want you to see why Paul does not consider his time of confinement a problem. Because he had, he had decided something long ago that he says in verse 24 of chapter 20. Speaking to the Ephesian elders as they're bawling their eyes out because he's, he's headed to Jerusalem. He says... But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus. What ministry, Paul? To testify, to speak, to say, to solemnly, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Let me put it very simply. Paul had decided already that the advancement of the gospel was more important than the advancement of Paul. Can I say that? The advancement of the gospel matters more to me, Paul says, than my own advancement. He knew what, what could be hindered and what couldn't. And I'm telling you, that is the mark of a fork in the road, not a milestone. On uh, January 8th, 1956, Jim Elliott and his four friends were killed uh, by spears. They were killed on a sandbar uh, along the Curure Cur River in uh, Ecuador, Again, I hope you'll look some of this up. Some amazing films and things have been told about this story. Uh, today, that sandbar, okay, they're killed on the sandbar. Today, that sandbar is now used as a place to baptize new believers from that tribe. Wait, wait, because they're, but, but Jim and his friends were killed. Yeah, yeah, they were. They paid the ultimate hindrance, didn't they? Their life. But the gospel cannot be stopped. God answered his prayer. Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I come in contact with to decision. Let me not be a milestone along 
a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. Close your Bibles. We always ask the question, so what? Well, this amazing ending to this story, it's been an amazing journey through the book of Acts, but our question remains, so what has it changed in you or in me? You do know that the Bible, we repeat, is not meant to just inform us about the world and things about God. The Bible, the living word is meant to change and transform us. But men and women, the Bible does not change you if you do not trust it. And and trusting it means you live it. The Bible, God has shown me this about himself and he's invited me to trust him for something. I'm going to act on that. See, that's That's how we're changed. The Holy Spirit doesn't just change you apart from you choosing to trust. And so we're going to ask you, I'm going to hand the mics to you in a moment, and I'm going to ask you, how's God changed you? Take this card out. It's a letter A. We gave you one of these back in September of last year. And you wrote some names on it of people who didn't know Christ. And we're going to ask you to re-up on that. And I've given you some space on the bottom to write some names of people who don't know Christ. And do you recall a couple weeks ago, I said to you, as we were coming out of this passage in Acts, I said, your salvation is for someone else. I'm glad you're saved. I'm glad you know Christ. But understand, the reason you're saved and alive right now on the planet is because your salvation is for someone else. And I want us to put some names on here. So I'm gonna give you a moment to do that, okay? And then I'm also gonna give you a moment to answer this question at the top. Because I... I am part of God's plan A, and there is no plan B. (laughs) I will what? Uh, I will choose to trust God for this. Uh, I will act upon that desire that God has put in me. Uh, I will change something I'm doing. Do you see what I'm saying? I want you to put some action, something that you go, I'm going to trust God for this. Back in September, we began this journey and we threw a big A up on the stage and it's been here, as many of you know, it's been on different places on this stage for the last 20 weeks because the church is God's plan A. We didn't get far into our study when we began to understand that where the Spirit worked in people in such a way that people who had abundance uh, met the needs of people who had needs and we gave you some A's and some ends and we said if you've got an abundance block you need to find someone with a need and meet the need and then we we went beyond you remember this we went beyond that and said why don't we live that way and you'll recall some of you over here can't see it but we've got the sharing board and we put the sharing board out back and all you had to do was in humility honestly and this takes some risk tell what your need is and and I don't know that all the needs were met but I'll tell you something I heard some stories some amazing stories Some things that should be normal in a sense where people made a need known and the need was met by someone in this body because you took a step of faith. And then we, moving through, you know, we began to prepare for some baptisms and 20 people were baptized one weekend. The next weekend, we decided because the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized on the fly in the moment because he was saved, we, we chose to say, let's, let's invite people who are sitting here today that, that weren't planning to be baptized, but today's the day, 
And do you know, 40 of you stepped into this thing. I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. As you got up out of your chair in your Sunday clothes, took them off, threw on a black t-shirt and a pair of black shorts we had for you, and you were baptized to say, God has saved me. Today's the day I want you guys to know God has saved me. Some 90 people over a three-week period baptized through, through, you know, here and at the Franklin Nashville campuses. A couple weeks ago, we gathered around this table, and the reason we gathered around this table, and everyone in the room came up on this stage and came to the table. Why? Because we wanted to remind everyone, even if you don't know Christ, that the table is for you, and the bread of life is for you. We celebrated communion. And throughout the whole series, we've tried to remind all of us that the gospel is the good news but there's something we're always tempted to grab. Do you remember what we called this rope? What do we call this rope? Somebody say. Oh, we don't, I did not teach it well. Rob didn't clearly. What's it called? Rope of religion. Yes. And, and do you remember, remember Rob pulling it down if you were here? You know, something you may not know is he, you know, he had to do three services. By the third service, he had this technique that I want you to see. I, I, I just loved seeing this. But look up here. This is Rob pulling it down the third service. It's like this, it's like it's a, huh, huh, you know, yanking it down. Well, pulling down the rope of religion. Why? Because, because we don't have to climb the rope of religion because Jesus satisfied the law because we never could. So take a moment right now. Just, I just walk you through that reflection. Write some names, and I want you to keep this because this is how we're going to be praying even as we did at the very beginning of this, serve, of this series, we prayed for 40 days and 40 nights about these names. So take a moment, write some names, those that you want to pray for, and then finish that sentence. And I'm gonna invite some to share that with each other. And I'm gonna tell you why it's absolutely biblical we do this. Go ahead and do that right now. I'm giving you time to fill that out. I want to invite the band to come back out. You can continue to write on here because um, we'll sing at the end. Let me tell you what we're going to do now. I'm going to have you share this with each other. And if you're a guest, um, again, let me say, I, I don't mean to put you in positions where you're uncomfortable, but I will say 
it's a lot of what we do around here because while the church is the safe, I hope it's the safest place, we can bring our, just the worst of us because that's what's forgiven. But we could also do so in the safety of knowing it's okay to bring, that's who I am. But I'll tell you, Christian growth is not comfortable. It's not. It's life. But growth pains hurt. Growth pains are scary. And so this is kind of, I know I'm getting ready to ask you to do something that's hard for all of, all of us. You're not, it's not just you as a guest, okay? But uh, we're going to share. And the reason we, we, we will is because changed lives change lives. Because a changed life changes another life. It's what we see in the scripture. Paul said in Philippians, because of my imprisonment and that people have seen it, those men now have more courage. See, they have more courage because they've seen my life. They've got more courage to speak the truth. And so that's all we're going to do. We're just going to turn to one another and say, this is what God's done in me. This is how God's changing me. And I'm telling you, if someone says something on this side of the room, you are speaking to someone on that side of the room. I assure you, you're not speaking just for yourself. So I'd like everyone to stand. We're gonna do it two ways. The first way is we're gonna stand together. Go ahead and stand up. And I'm gonna ask you with your card, you know, we'll do this for a moment. Turn to someone nearby and I want you to share your card with, maybe if you're the first one to say, what does your card say? You'll never have to share. So, so I would say, ask the question first, you know, but just say, what do you got on your card? Go ahead and do that right now. Go ahead and share in that way. Tell what's on your card. Okay, now, let me get your attention. Hey, Scott, you can grab this mic. Let me get your attention. Now, here's what I want you, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna stay standing, and not everyone can do this. I'm gonna stand up here because I found it hard earlier, but we've got a microphone in the middle. We've got microphones on the side. Uh, Lauren's got one and Joe's got one here. I'm just gonna ask where you're standing, and I'll point it out because they can't see you. I'll say, there's someone's hand over there. I just want you to raise your hand, and just, again, this is just a few. I'm and just read your card uh, because I'm a part of God's plan A and there's no plan B, I will. And, and I, want, I want you to share uh, with the body uh, what that is for you because we need to hear it for each other. So just slip your hand. Very quickly, we're gonna do this. Slip your hand up and I'll, I'll, I'll get a microphone to you. Raise your hand up and I can steer them. All the way in the back, all the way in the back over here, Lauren, all the way in the back. How about in this middle section? Anybody, so I can get these microphones to you now. Just You just read your statement over in the corner. Anyone here? 
Then there's one over here. Okay, hold, hold, before you share, we're gonna stay here all the way through lunch until someone in this, <laughs> in this section right here whose, whose heart is beating, because you know, I don't know if I should, or what, but you just go, I'll, I'll share. Someone in, this, the, someone in this two middle sections, get a microphone, because that way we'll hit these three and then we will sing. Someone wanna share in this section? All the way down here. Thank you for raising your hand in the back too. I know, I see you. Okay, start over here. Just tell your name and then just read your card. Hi, I'm Colleen. And um, I wrote something and then I also want to share a verse. I wrote, um, um, because I am part of God's plan A and there is no plan B, I will act upon the desire to seek God in place of my worldly wants and choose not only to seek out a life of faith, but act in it and proclaim what it has done in renewing my heart. Mm -hmm. And there's a Bible verse in a song that my dad taught me one day. We were in a car ride going to see my grandparent, my grandmother and my uncle. And it was Galatians 2.20, but it was the King's James Version. And it, and it goes, I only know it by singing it, so we're going to have to sing it. <laughs> it goes, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yes, right? <laughs> Colleen. May, uh, may we have more courage to sing. Are you kidding me? Of Christ and to say it. Missy, go ahead. I'm Missy and I will not be singing. <laughs> um, but I will choose to trust God for the future, not walking in fear, but in faith, obeying God's instructions from his word, taking practical opportunities as they come and instructing my heart about what is true. Amen. Thank you, Missy. And then one over here. Go ahead, Rob. Hey, my name is Rob. I, uh, when I was a new believer, I really found life in giving mine away uh, in a very you know, tangible initiating towards men, both as a mentor and, um, and to be mentored. And um, really gotten away from that over the last several years. And, um, you know, kids are getting older and uh, I, I really uh, miss that. feel like it's um, a calling that I need to step back into. Amen. And may your tribe increase. You all, uh, plan A is Jesus in us. It is the hardest life you will ever choose to live and the most glorious and most worthwhile. And what we do as we live in Christ lasts forever. And for the great privilege, may we always be grateful beyond words. And I think it's appropriate ending this series. We end with those words. We're grateful, O oh God, for what you've done for us, what you're doing in us, what you're always doing through us for the gospel is unstoppable. Let's sing and we'll head out.